Welcome to Cultural Quarter of an Hour podcast, a podcast where we celebrate the culture of Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. And remember, culture, it is so much more than stuffy paintings in a stuffy art gallery. It is so much more than a posh orchestra playing to posh people in posh ball gowns and suits. The culture we're talking about is the culture of every day, the culture of our city, our area that surrounds the city. It is the people, it is the buildings on our streets, it is the canals we enjoy, it is the heritage that is actually part of our everyday life, our present and our future. So grab a brew, peel your ears back and enjoy. Welcome to this week's episode of Cultural Quarter of an Hour. I'm going to start off by talking about what it feels like everybody is talking about. The weather. What's going on? Hasn't it been absolutely gorgeous? And hasn't it shown our city in just an even better light than normal? Everything looks better in the sunshine. And you know what else has been absolutely gorgeous is seeing all those spring flowers starting to come through. So when I've been out, I've been doing a lot of running recently. When I've been out, I've seen all the daffodils coming through, the crocuses coming through and the snowdrops as well. In fact, I know there's a couple of snowdrop walks that people can take part in, um, maybe a little bit further afield rather than uh, just in Stoke-on-Trent. But there's um, so much to explore. And whilst I didn't think I'd be saying this in February, it's beginning to feel like spring is around the corner. The nights are certainly getting a lot lighter as well. I'd love to find out what you've been up to in the sunshine. I am convinced I've caught the sun. My freckles, God bless my Irish and Lancastrian heritage, my freckles are starting to appear already. Um, But yeah, I'd love to know what you've been up to. Where have you been? Where is your secret sunshine spot in Stoke-on-Trent? Get in touch in all the usual ways to let me know. So uh, that's at CQHpod on Twitter, uh, at CQHpod on Facebook, or just search for Cultural Quarter of an Hour on Facebook as well. Or of course, um, message me in the blog post as well on the website. That is www dot cqhpod.co.uk. This episode of uh, the podcast or the interview in this episode of the podcast could have easily gone on for hours, not in a bad way, but in a really good way. I've been chatting to Fred Hughes. He is no doubt a name you recognise, regular columns in the Sentinel. You'll hear him on the radio as well. And now you get to hear him on the podcast. Today, I am very lucky to be joined by Fred Hughes. Fred, how would you describe yourself? Because I was going to say author and historian. Is that accurate? I should think uh, at my age, that's about right, Charlotte. And we go back a long way from uh, me working on Radio Stoke, and you are a familiar voice for many who listen to BBC Radio Stoke. Um, But just tell us a little bit about yourself, if I was meeting you for the first time. Mm. Well, 
Um, you would find me very, very interested in local history. That's the first thing. Uh, and try and shut me up once you start on that trail. Um, I can't help it. Um, I see a building and I have to know the history of it. And then once I know the history of it, I have to tell somebody else. Um, very often I will write it down. Um, and that's why I write books. And that's why I write stories for the local paper. And speak to Radio Stoke, of course, at the same time. We're very blessed to have so many beautiful historic buildings in this city, aren't we? And I know I've spoken to you in Burslem many a time, and all it takes is just for people to look up a little bit, doesn't it? It does. Um, we, we seem to walk through our towns um, with our heads down, really. Um, and if we meet somebody, then we'll go to our level. What we don't do, of course, we'll walk into a shop and we'll see all the goodies that are on sale or go into a building purposefully, um, to seek something out, to buy something, or to make an exchange. Um, what we don't do, of course, is look at the nature of those buildings. We don't look up enough. And when we do, we suddenly realize, no, I didn't know this about that. E even eye contact, even seeing something which you don't readily see or normally see, brings you to attention. And then you start to think, I wonder what that's about. And that's the key to local history, finding out something that's always there, and yet we never notice it. Do you think local history should be taught in schools more? Because we all find out when we go through schools, we find out about all the, the history of, you know, we go back to farming, agricultural history, the kings, the queens, we learn about the wars, which is all very important stuff to learn. But do you think we need to do more local history? Yes, I think we do, um, particularly in areas like um, Stoke-on-Trent, which is, um, you know, it, it became the birth part of the birth of the Industrial Revolution. I think people and children need to know why. Um, Stoke-on-Trent has two main features. It has a river, and it has a long road that stretches through it. Both are pretty much hard to find. Um, the river starts up in uh, Bidulf, um, and it wanders in a variety of splashes all over the place. Little villages, just a, it just suddenly rises. Um, but it's only when we get to Stoke Town itself that we suddenly see it, as it really becomes a rushing stream. And then, of course, we get into Trentham, and there it is, fish and all. The road itself is, was there purposely to link the six towns um, Tunstall, Burslem, Hanley, Fenton, Longton and Stoke. And when you think about that, why do we need to link them? Because we have this common thing about it, and that is its industry, and that is clay and coal. And in each of those centres, that's where the industry began. And that road links, links them all together. And that's what makes us have, you know, into a city, really. It gives us a common purpose. I think if that is spelled out to children at school with visits to some of the um, locations where we can see that industry, how it's progressed and how it still is progressing, working potteries for instance from the Victorian age, I think that would be very interesting for children and I think it gives a kickstart to them to explore further. It doesn't have to be beaten into them, there'll be no part of the curriculum, but I do think that um, Educating people in the place where they live is very important. It makes it real, doesn't it? It does. Um, to, to actually see something that, I mean, even a closed colliery, 
I mean, it's been, it, it's getting on now for 20 years since the last pit closed. We don't produce coal now in the United Kingdom, certainly not in the Midlands and certainly not in Stoke-on-Trent, which is very, very rich in that mineral. I mean, there are still millions of tons of coal beneath the surface of Stoke-on-Trent. The entire uh, geography of Stoke-on-Trent is, is sits upon coal. To take children to places like the Whitfield Colliery, which hasn't worked, uh, you know, since 19, I think about 1986, um, and then you know you look you look at that, and children can see those wheels and those mine shafts all tapped off now. But you know we see them from a distance, and you think, what's that? I'm a great believer in keeping local history and some of the uh, iconic. Um, material that once you know described what it was all about. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit put out recently by the demolition of Stoke-on-Trent's last gas holder at Adderley Green. And I'm very worried that people will no longer link that to how we lived uh, in, in reachable history. When I was a boy, gas holders fed into factories and fed into lighting and heating houses. They've gone now. Um, so I'm disappointed about that. I want to preserve everything that resonates local history visibly and tangibly. And, and if we get rid of it too much, then we're lost. Do you think there was one moment or one kind of uh, incident that really sort of sparked your love for history then? Yes, um, that's easy to say. Um, I'm not originally from Stoke-on-Trent. Uh, but my first job in Stoke-on-Trent um, was in Burslem, um, and that was in 1960, long time ago. But um, that was the key, that was the kickstart, that was the link to the past that suddenly... I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, to walk up Newcastle Street in the f for the first time and see this town all rising as it, d as it did for me on that first occasion. And I'm thinking... What a fantastic image this is creating for me. I mean, you see something like that, and you know that it was built in the, you know, in the middle of the Victorian age, and then you walk around into Queen Street and see, and see that absolutely stunning building, the Wedgwood Institute, again built by the great Victorians. I mean, it just is. You, you cannot wonder uh, how a palette full of colours could paint such a picture as the frontage of the Wedgwood Institute. It is absolutely glorious. Asking for a key moment, my first visit to Burslem. I still live in Burslem and I still love it and I still come down to remind myself of that first visit. That kick-started me, uh, kick me into uh, local history. Do you know what, there was an incident with me quite recently. I was walking through the town centre of Burslem and it was one of those grey damp mornings where you can smell everything and I could smell obviously a coal fire burning and I looked up and it, like you say you look up and I went this could be a village in the Lake District this could be it almost looked picture postcard because I was looking up and I was looking at all that beautiful architecture and I just I just stood there and just thought we are so so lucky but we need to make more of it don't we we do um and that brings me back to dis destruction of buildings um we've lost so many um, fortunately, um, the, the Pottery's Heritage Society some years ago decided that it would stop the, the demolition of bottle ovens. Um, and it went into action and it managed to save 47, which are still standing and which are now listed, grade 2 listed. 
Um, the most exciting cluster of these, of course, is at the Gladstone Museum, where we have five of these beautiful, uh, iconic things. It tells you everything you need to know about the pottries. You know, it evokes the smell, if you like, of coal burned fires. It, it evokes the smell of dust and, 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 and dare I say, pollution. And but that's how we lived, and that's the, you know it was smoke and it was dirt and it was grime, um, but we grew up in it, um, so I think you can still you you can still have that flavour, like you say, you know a, a smell will take you back, a touch, um, or you use your senses when you're in local history, in every way and as much as possible, you know you're hearing things. You know, a barge going past on a on a canal. You can hear the chut 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 as it's going through, and you you know you can you can go back a hundred years and see exactly what you can hear in modern times. So here we are in 2019. How do you think people in a hundred years will be looking at Stoke on Trent in 2019? That's a quite a big question. I appreciate. It's a, it's a great question, but it's a fabulous question because we all like to look into the future. Think about historians. They don't want to die. They want to see what's going to happen um, so they can talk about it. And what's going to be like in 100 years' time? I don't know what it's going to be like in 20 years' time. Things are changing so fast. The world is growing smaller and smaller. You know, we have to make way for the inevitable consequences of, 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 of that that thing about the world getting smaller, about um, receiving people from other nations, um, because that's what's going to happen for sure. So we must be prepared, um, certainly in less than 100 years, to be able to say to people, look, you come into this country now, enjoy it like we enjoy it, treat it gently like we treated it. It's been a hard road for us to get here. 100 years from now, I can see so many changes. I think we will have a community that is as responsive. I hope it doesn't isn't a community that regrets certain things. For instance, demolition of, 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 of icons. I hope we don't destroy our history. I hope we can remember uh, what it was like to sit in front of a coal fire while your mum's outside in the back washing or hanging out the clothes on a Monday so it doesn't get dirty by Tuesday. Um, I hope these things are remembered. I think they will be. I mean, we develop so much with radio and television um, and now high technology. I think we'll, you know, it may be a time where we can actually be in a position to revisit the past simply just by, you know, the technology that we're using. Um, I hope that happens. I hope that computers will enable us to do that, to have that flavor of how we were. I think we will actually. Um, God willing that we'll all be here in a hundred years' time. Wouldn't that be amazing if we were? Do you think there is um, a tendency, though, to look back with rose-tinted glasses? Yes, there is. Um, nostalgia, I mean, the Greeks had the word for it, it was, it was an illness. Um, and it was treated as an illness. Um, nostalgia is something that you look back on today. You can get too engaged in nostalgia, and that doesn't actually work for me. Um, and I am nostalgic. I do look back and think, what would my mum do, what my dad do in these circumstances? You mean I've grown up into um, a long, long period of time. Um, when I was a boy, we had... Luckily, we had radio. 
And I loved it. I loved the sound of people speaking in another language from thousands and thousands of miles away. And then along came television. And since television, it's just zoomed. Now, nostalgia doesn't leave us much room to look back in fondness. And when I was um, in my late 20s, I could, I was more nostalgic because we hadn't got the technology to bring it closer. So I was looking back in the past and thinking, we wouldn't do this when I was at school to my own children. Um, oh, I would love to, I would love to go back and eat a Wright's pie. Not the way we've, we, they bake them these days, but the way I used to buy them on my way to a football match on a Saturday afternoon. That's the right spy that I miss so much. That's nostalgia. Um, so we have that issue, and uh, I, I think there's, it's not dangerous, but I think we need to be careful in defining what nostalgia is compared with local history. What are your hopes then for, for the city? You've seen a lot of change. You've been around for a long time. We've had lots of developments. What would you like to see happen? Oh, there's so many aspects to Stoke-on-Trent that I would like to see changed. Um, as a former politician, I would look back and think there has to be a better system in local government than there is today. Um, and I think that's achievable, and not in the too dist far distant future. As far as industry is concerned, the way we're going now, I can't see industry ever coming back to Stoke-on-Trent. So that, I mean, we have to consider that Stoke-on-Trent was built for its industry. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for industry. We wouldn't be talking like this. But I don't think we can get back to there. There's no industry now big enough that would um, would, would succumb to the, the way that Stoke-on-Trent wants to go. I'd like to see the heritage of Stoke-on-Trent emphasized a lot more than it is. You know, our museums are very, very good. The, the Pottery's Museum and Art Gallery in Stoke-on-Trent is one of the, I would think, one of the world's leading um, um, I say libraries almost, uh, uh, collections in ceramics. The whole of the world will come here and, and look at what we did 250 years ago. Oh, that's marvellous. We can build on that. That's an expertise. I'd like to see greater communication. I'd like to see more use in our canal, for instance, which is a, which is a historic thing. We can build upon that. There's a lot of history there that needs massage, and we can exploit that. Um, I think, by and large, we're not on a bad course for the future. I'm uh, an optimist in that way. So I think coupled with the fact that you know we can straighten ourselves out, sort our politics out, sort out what we need, come together as a community, and let's not forget these six towns. They are, even today, uh, are not quite healed, that federation that they managed to accomplish in, in, in 1910. But we're making it work. And I think that's, that's a great thing. I think we need to use that, those six towns, use them in the way that we feel that they're a precious asset. Yeah, we have a central town, which is uh, our commercial and our retail center, Hanley, but I think we can develop the other towns just as important. And I think we're making our way towards that. That's what I'd like to see happen, a build on our heritage. 
Yeah, they all have a little identity, don't they, these, our six towns? Oh, they do. Um, and this is why I'm so fond uh, and, and dedicated reader of Arnold Bennett. Um, I mean, his five towns, of course, um, which actually fits the, the themes of his title. It, it sounds better, doesn't it, than six? That's what he said. Um, I think are wonderful. It, they, they paint a better picture than any artist could about that particular time, the late Victorian period, the early Edwardian period. Um, you know, to begin, may I plug his Anna of the Five Towns, to begin with that miserly man and that woman, woman's liberation. Suddenly, you know, she's taking charge of her life and other people's lives. I think that, you know, to, you know when you think that, that book is, over, you know, it's 150 years old and getting on for, it, you know, if you, if you look at that kind of thing, writing then and painting the picture of how the potteries look then um, gives a great image uh, of the five or six towns. Or Fenton. Or oh, poor Fenton, but you know, th there's no harm in what he did. He, he didn't say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave Fenton out. He just didn't find a place for it in his fiction. And let's be honest, his five towns novels are fiction, although they very much sound like fa fact if you get deeper involved in them. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Fred. Really appreciate it and uh, I've very much enjoyed it. And uh, thank you very much. Fred Hughes talking to me. He mentioned museums. We were sitting in the cafe at the Potteries Museum and Art Gallery in Hanley. And he's absolutely right. It is a real treasure trove there. So much that you can see and learn. And the shop is brilliant as well. I quite often pop in there if I need to get a birthday card or a gift for somebody's birthday. It's a great little place. And the cafe as well. I often will pop in there and have a cup of coffee with a friend. So I hope you enjoyed listening to Fred as much as I enjoyed having my conversation with him. And I will put some details of the, the people that he mentioned. So if you want to find out a bit more about Arnold Bennett, I'll put those links on the website as well. So you can go to the website cqhpod.co.uk. The blog will be up eventually uh, with all the extra sort of details on. And you can also get in touch with me there as well. You can also, don't forget, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for at cqhpod.co.uk. CQH pod for both of them or just look for cultural quarter of an hour sure that it all comes up there love to hear from you as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast would love to know your secret sunshine spots of Stoke-on-Trent probably just in time for some snow to come along never mind until next week look after yourselves and we'll speak soon <laughs>